Well, happy Independence Day. Hope you got some big plans, maybe a barbecue, maybe a boat will be involved, either way. Hope you got some fun planned. Let's see, happy Rwandan Liberation Day. In case you didn't know, we're not the only ones who celebrate July 4th. In Rwanda, in 1994, July 4th was when um, the terrible Rwandan genocide ended. Uh, and they celebrate that as their Liberation Day along with us. Uh, mostly, though, of course, happy Lord's Day uh, when we celebrate each week uh, that Christ has set us free. I'm so glad you're here. If you're worshiping with us online, you're in the right place. My name's Ethan, one of the ministers here, and we're kicking off a brand new series today. Perfect for summer, perfect for Independence Day. It's sort of got a long title, but sort of bear with me. It says this, in order to form a more perfect dot, dot, dot. In order to form a more perfect, maybe you recognize those words. I know they aren't uh, from the Declaration of Independence, which is what we celebrate on July 4th, but from the Constitution. Uh, but it's a great line, in order to form a more perfect. And, and I think that line will serve us well in this series. In case you don't know the context uh, for the line, uh, here, here's the paragraph it comes from, the preamble to the U.S. Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, to establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. It's a great paragraph and kicks off the Constitution, which if this were some other context, you could go study uh, for yourself. But, but I, just, I, I just want to talk about that paragraph. I, I like the paragraph. It's, it's broad enough to kind of give you a sense of the, the grandeur of the discussion, but simple enough that you can follow it. It, it has in mind kind of something bigger than itself, and yet... There's a certain humility to the paragraph. In fact, it is that humility that is my favorite part of the paragraph. The, the line itself, in order to form a more perfect union, has an implied humility that's attractive to me. It doesn't say, in order to form a perfect union, it doesn't imply we've got it all figured out, that this is the, the final word on human governance and human organization. They knew, actually, even as they wrote the document, that amendments would be needed. Ten would be needed immediately. And many more would be needed to give rights to women, to end the horrific practice of slavery, and on and on. They knew it wasn't perfect. They said so right in the first sentence. I love that kind of humility. But it's an aspirational humility, isn't it, right? It's not like a woe is me humility. It's not a we'll never get it right, we'll never figure it out. No, no, it, it has this sense. They were trying, right? They were taking their best shot in order to form a more perfect. They're taking their best shot to make the world a little better. Make their nation a little better. Make their homes a little better. Make things a little better for their kids than they were for them. 
And, and some of them were Christians and some of them weren't Christians. But that impulse, that impulse to make your world just a little bit better, knowing you won't get it perfect, knowing you don't have all the answers, knowing you don't have it all figured out, but maybe with what you do have, you can do a little bit, that impulse is a very godly impulse. That impulse is one of the, the core practices we'll see of Christian citizenship. That's what we're going to talk about kicking off this week and for the next three weeks. How should Christians live in the world? How do Christians live as residents in the nations of this world, knowing that we are really citizens of a kingdom in heaven? I hope the principles feel useful to those of us who live here in this nation. But the principles are bigger than that. We just sent one of our beloved staff members, Katie Rochelle, off to Germany to be a missionary there. And these same principles of biblical godly citizenship, they'll serve her just as well in Germany as they will us here in the United States. We, we can trust the general applicability of these principles because they show up all over the Bible. Now, now, we're going to zero in on, on one situation where these principles are taught in God's Word. But these principles show up, well, they show up when God's people rule their own nation. And they show up when they were ruled by other nations. They show up when they live in their own land and when they were scattered in other lands. They show up when God's people sort of are one people. And they show up when God's people are in part of many peoples all over the Roman Empire. And so there are lots of places we could go for these principles. But my favorite place is to the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. And we'll spend the next three weeks in this chapter learning from the prophet Jeremiah as he teaches God's people how to live well in the place where God put them. Now, you need to know a few things about Jeremiah, okay? Jeremiah, he was a prophet, uh, one of the last great prophets during the period of what we call the period of the kings. This is sort of after David when God's people lived in the land where God had put them, uh, led by kings. And they were relatively, for most of this period, they were their own independent nation with the opportunity to live as God told them to live. They rarely did live that way, but at least they could have if they'd wanted to. And Jeremiah was one of the last great prophets of this period. Now, the prophets in the decades before Jeremiah, if we were to summarize their message, we could summarize their message like this. Watch out. If you all don't straighten up, God is going to punish the nation. They're kind of, they said a lot of specific things, but in general, that was their message. Watch out. If you don't straighten up, God is going to punish the nation. That was not Jeremiah's message, though. Jeremiah had a different message. Jeremiah's message was, it's too late. God is going to punish the nation. There's no more watch out to avoid punishment. Jeremiah's message was, punishment was coming then he got to say, however, if we will be obedient to God now, then God will bless us even in the midst of the punishment that is coming. 
Now you can imagine, this was a hard ministry, right? If your job was to go around saying it's too late, the punishment of God is coming and there's nothing you can do to stop it, just repent so it won't be as bad as it could be. This did not make Jeremiah a popular guy. Uh, We sometimes call him the weeping prophet because so many of his sermons he delivered through tears for his beloved nation of Judah, even as he knew it was about to be destroyed. He was attacked. They attempted to kill him. They threw him down wells. I mean, this guy had a hard, hard life. But he was right. Uh, Not long after his ministry began, uh, Judah was attacked uh, by Babylon. Babylon was kind of the big dog on the geopolitical scene of that day. And finally, they got tired of Judah's rebellion, and so they attacked And they shipped off into exile about a third of the residents of Judah. And then a couple years later, Judah still would kind of was an annoyance to Babylon. And so they went and attacked Judah again and shipped off into exile about another third of their population. This starts the period of history uh, that we call the exile because most of God's people were uh, living uh, as sort of political prisoners in Babylon. But in between those two exiles, Jeremiah wrote a letter. Jeremiah 29. He wrote a letter to those that were already in exile in Babylon. Well, uh, if you've got your Bible with you, open up Jeremiah 29. Maybe you got it on your phone. That's a great way to find a Bible. Just Google Jeremiah 29. You'll find it. Uh, If you don't have that with you, it'll be up on the screen as well. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers, the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, had sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Now, during the early years of Jeremiah's ministry, he was often ignored. But now, his big prophecy has come true. God's people were punished for their rebellion against God. And he alone, of all the prophets, Jeremiah was the only prophet who knew that it would happen and prophesied such. So maybe, now that he's been proven to be an authentic prophet of God, maybe they'll listen to the letter. And maybe we will too. Here's the letter. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. We'll come back to that advice in a minute, because first we need to hear Jeremiah's warnings. 
But, but for now, it's enough to notice that at this point in the letter, the recipients of this letter must have been choking on their own rage. Seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon? The very people that just kidnapped them from their homes? He goes on. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. We know from other places that the specific prophecies Jeremiah is trying to correct are, are, are people who claim that the exile will be short. That any minute, God is going to send an army to destroy Babylon and they will be freed and sent back home to Judah and everything can go back to just the way it was. That's what the false prophets were saying. And Jeremiah is saying, don't listen to them. In fact, he goes on. Here's what he says, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promises to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now, there is a whole sermon in that paragraph. We like to focus maybe on, on Jeremiah 29, 11. Maybe you've seen it on a coffee cup or you've seen it on a poster. I know the plans I have for you. But that verse only comes after Jeremiah 29, 10, which is where Jeremiah has to say, listen, folks, you're going to be there 70 years. For 70 years. Don't listen to the prophets who say this is going to be quick and then it'll all be fine. God is saying it's going to be 70 years before I come to you and bring you back to your home. They wanted a quick fix, but the message of Jeremiah is that God has a different plan. Now, to be sure, Jeremiah 29, 11 stands as a promise to them. God's plan for them is a good plan. It's a holy plan. It's a beautiful plan. It's a redeeming plan. It's just not a quick plan. And I'd say that's not today's sermon, but man, there's a word for somebody in there, isn't there, right? Like you are, you're in a moment of suffering and you're like, God's, where's your quick plan? And maybe it's like Jeremiah. He's like, God's got a good plan and a redeeming plan and a rescuing plan and a saving plan. And God has a hopeful plan and God has an eternal plan. God just doesn't have a quick plan. And that happens and it happened to these people. He goes on. He wants to be sure they've gotten the point that this false pro these false prophets who say everything's going to be over quickly, they're lying to him. He says, you may say, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. 
But this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in, exi- remain in this city, your fellow citizens who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them. I will make them like figs so that are so bad they cannot be eaten. I'll pursue them with the sword, famine, and plague. will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth, a curse and an object of horror, of scorn and reproach among all the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord, words that I sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets, and you exiles have not listened either. Jeremiah says, you think it's bad for you who are already in exile? It's going to be even worse for the ones that are still in Judah. And sure enough, Jeremiah was exactly right. Um, the, the people of Judah rose up against Babylon again. They picked a fight they could not win because they did not have the backing of their God. And Babylon sent the armies one more time to destroy Jerusalem and destroy Judah and ship another half the people off into exile. So Babylon, Jeremiah says, don't listen to the false prophets who are leading you to ignore the teaching of Scripture. Don't listen to the king who's about to rebel against Babylon. Don't listen to anybody who says you can ignore God's instruction. So maybe let's take Jeremiah's advice, right? Let's go back and just look. It's just four verses of instruction that Jeremiah gives them for how God's people ought to live in Babylon. And it seems to me that these four verses paint a a picture for how God's people ought to live anywhere, for how God's people can be the kinds of citizens God's calling us to be wherever we live. Here's what he said. Before all the warnings, he says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease also. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you will prosper. First thing Jeremiah reminds them of. This is what we're going to focus on in three weeks. But the first thing he tells them is, you are exiles and God puts you here. That's the first thing they need to know. You are exiles, but God puts you here. We'll talk about this more in a couple weeks. We'll end where Jeremiah starts. But for now, it's enough to know that this sentiment is repeated throughout Scripture. Even when God's people lived in their own land, even when Christians were citizens of their own country, the reminder of Scripture is that we are to live as exiles in the world. Jesus teaches this. The early church teaches this. Our true home is in heaven. Our true citizenship is with God. And our no earthly nation is ever our true nation. We live here as ambassadors, as representatives of our true and only king. 
And so this is true for every Christian in every nation of the world today. The nation of their residents gets their second loyalty to their loyalty to God. And we'll look in a couple weeks at just how powerful the call to live as exiles in the world can help us be salt and light in a dying world. The second thing he tells them is that thing about planting gardens, having kids, and getting married, get a job. We'll talk about this next week. But again, this second message is so important. Basically, Jeremiah says the next most important thing you do as a citizen where God has put you is just to live a decent life. Plant a garden, get a job, build a house, raise some kids, enjoy a barbecue, go to the lake. Get up the next morning. We honor God. And again, the Bible is so full of this. And we're going to look at this next week. We honor God just by living a wholesome, decent, productive life. Mow the lawn. Hold down a job. Help your neighbor. Fix a leaky roof. Change a baby's diaper. Play with your grandkids. Every part of that glorifies God. But then the third thing he says, this is the one that I'm just not sure they could have even handled him writing. It's where we're going to start today, this kind of observation about what the Bible teaches about Christian citizenship. He says this, also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah, writing from ravaged Jerusalem, writes to the exiles, captives in Babylon, and says, Also, seek the good of the city to which I've sent you. Can you imagine how hard that would be for them to read? If he had said, seek the good of Zion, seek the good of Jerusalem, seek the good of Judah, now that would have made sense. If he said also, while you're there, live as spies, secret agents to undermine Babylon and bring it down from within, that would have made sense to them. But they were captives in Babylon. They were exiles in Babylon, held against their will by their most hated enemy, an enemy they had hated for generations in a place where their faith was mocked. They'd been taken from the temple and taken from their worship and taken from the land that they were promised by their God. And Jeremiah has the gall to write to them, seek the peace. And prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah had a tough ministry. It seems like he never got to tell anybody what they wanted to hear. He always had to tell people what God wanted them to hear. And on this day, the thing God wanted the people to hear was that, in fact, 
They were called to seek the good of the place God had put them, even though the place God put them was the place they hated. Now, I don't know if we have it as hard as the exiles in Babylon did, but we do live in an era when seeking peace and seeking prosperity for the whole city are hard to do. When you look around at the same world I do, think how few voices in our world are loudly calling us to seek peace. Oh, I know the quiet voices are working for peace, but I'm talking about the loud voices. Thinking about the loud, think about the loud voices in our culture. And how few of them are saying, seek the peace of the city where I've placed you. How few of them are saying, seek peace with your political enemies. Seek peace with your ideological enemies. Seek peace with your religious and cultural enemies. So few people who have a platform and a megaphone are willing to call for peace. Just like in Jeremiah's day, in our day, there's a, there are plenty of false prophets who are saying, seek enemies, right? And maybe even you, something rises up in you and says, how can I possibly seek peace when there are cultural forces that are out there trying to destroy me and my way of life or my way of faith or my way of thinking? How can I possibly seek peace in this place? And I would just suggest, and however bad you think it is for you, it's not as bad as it was for the Israelites trapped in Babylon. And yet Jeremiah writes to them, seek the peace of the place to which God has called you. Likewise, I, I feel like we are running out of voices that are calling us to seek the good, the prosperity of the city, of the land where God has put us. Our, our culture encourages us to, to do it this way, right? Seek the prosperity of yourself. Seek your own prosperity. Seek your own blessing. Seek the blessing for you and for your family and people that are like you and people that think like you and people that vote like you. Seek the blessing for them, for your group. And then if a little blessing spills out onto everybody else, well, that'll be fine. But Jeremiah, speaking on behalf of God, teaches exactly the opposite strategy. He says, you seek the good of the whole city, of all the people, of the whole land, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah says the blessing what God wants to give you is as a part of the blessing that God wants to give everybody. And the people who listen to Jeremiah and the people today who will listen to God, people today who listen to God will stand against our present impulse to tear one another down and destroy our enemies. They will stand against the present impulse to seek our own personal prosperity over the prosperity of others. 
Because this message Jeremiah had is the consistent message of Scripture for how God's people live in the world. And I love it. I love it when I see this happen. Whether they knew Jeremiah's prophecy or not, I love it when I see people who do just what he said. They seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which God has called him. They pray for it and pray that it will prosper, trusting that if it prospers, God will prosper them. I love it when I see this. And honestly, I get to see it a lot. Because this church, you, we, by God's grace, we're just surrounded by people who do this really well. We have half a dozen people in this church who have given their time to serve our city commission. Why do they do that? It is not to win friends. Just in case you're curious what local John City politics are like, you don't make friends serving on the city commission. No, they do it because they paid attention to Jeremiah. When Jeremiah said, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which God has called you. We have dozens of people in our church who serve as volunteers and board members for local nonprofits that are trying to meet the needs of our city. Again, why do they do it? Well, it isn't for the prestige, because you've never heard of them or the nonprofits they serve on, most likely. No, they do it, again, because they have heard Jeremiah's command to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. We have hundreds of people in this church who serve on the PTA or coach Little League, or, or, they, or they, when they go for a walk, they bring a trash bag, bag with them and pick up trash while they walk along the way, or, or whatever it is they're doing. I talked to a guy, this was a couple years ago, uh, it was before COVID, so I can't remember how long ago it was, but a little while ago, he said, Ethan, you got to pray for me, man. I was like, okay, sure, what, what's up? He says, I don't know why, but I just agreed to serve on my condo board. So, man, you got to pray for me. I teased back. I said, why did you do that? I said, did you lose some sort of bet? Are you, are you looking to suffer? Like, why would you agree to be on your condo board? And he answered back very sincerely. He said, no, I didn't lose a bet. I guess I just hoped I might do some good and give back a little. I actually love living there. Maybe we can get the pool fixed. I love that. He looked around and he said, how can I seek the peace and prosperity of my city? You know, I live in a condo, so I can't plant a garden, but I can join the condo board and I can try and get the pool fixed. That'll be my little contribution. This is the kind of perspective on Christian citizenship that Jesus was talking about when he said this. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Let them, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We know how the story of the exiles ends. Uh, God was true to God's promises. Uh, in 70 years, as God's people returned humbly to the worship of God, God did rescue them, God did redeem them, and God did bring them back to the promised land. But it's interesting what happened along the way 
the, the means by which God did that. Over those 70 years, Jewish exiles achieved the highest levels of influence and leadership in the Babylonian government. They served as satraps, as were kind of regional representatives. They served as governors and mayors of cities. They served as advisors to the king, members of the king's own court and council. And it was in these positions of influence that through which God brought them back to the promised land. What did they do while they were in exile? They did exactly what Jeremiah told them to do. They looked around at their prison and said, let's seek the good. Let's seek the peace. Let's bless the city of Babylon. And this is how Christians are called to live in the world. We're exiles. Our first home, our first citizenship is in heaven, not here. We plant gardens and raise families with productive labor and an eye to future generations. And we seek peace and build the prosperity of the place where God has put us. So just decide that you won't give in to the voices that seek to tear each other down. I know. There are so many loud voices coming from every corner of our political and cultural conversation here locally and around the world that say, say, find an enemy and destroy them and you'll make the world a better place. But those are false voices. And if Jeremiah were here, he would call them out with the same kind of vigor he called out the false prophets of his day. For they do not seek the peace of the place where God has put us. And I know there are voices that promise a quick fix if we can just defeat that enemy or just defeat that politician or just defeat that bill and then everything will be better and everything will be fine. So all of our energy has to go to defeating them. But the voices of easy solutions are just as wrong today as they were when Jeremiah wrote to the exile. And I know there are voices that say, think of yourself first. Look out for your own prosperity first. Build your own wealth and your own influence first. And then if there's any leftover, try and help the world or help the globe or help the city or help the nation. But those voices are just as false today as they were when Jeremiah preached. Seek the prosperity of the city. Pray for the city that it might prosper. And if it prospers, you will too. Seek the good for all, not just yourself. Trusting that as you seek the good for all, God will take care of you. And I know there are voices that say everything's fine. Don't worry about it. There's nothing for you to do. You couldn't make a difference anyway. Might as well just kind of sit this one out. Let things stay the same. But again, those voices are just as false today as they were in Jeremiah's day. There is something for you to do. There is good work for us to do as Christian citizens in our world. We seek the peace of our city. We seek the prosperity of our city. If you're coaching Little League, good for you. If you're on your condo board, awesome. 
If you're picking up trash in your street, way to go. Maybe it's something littler. Maybe it's something bigger. I don't even know what it is. And if it's nothing, well, get in the game. Because Jeremiah is clear. And his warnings for those who ignore his message are profound. Come back next week. We're going to keep working through the teaching of Jeremiah on how we live as citizens in the world who are citizens first of heaven. But for now, just start here. Decide to make a positive difference in the place God put you. Cast off your passivity and cast off the battle. Instead, move into action. And listen to the prophet one more time before we pray. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Let's pray. God, we ask that you might make us people who obey the prophet. Some of us need to be awakened, God, for we have been lulled into passivity and we need to be called into action by Jeremiah's words. Some of us need to be warned, God, because we have taken up arms and have forgotten to seek peace, or we have let ourselves get selfish and sought our own prosperity over the prosperity of others. And so whatever message we need from the prophet today, we just ask that we would hear it through your spirit and that we would go out of this place obedient to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.